Welcome to FAQ NYC. I'm Alex Brooklyn. In a minute, we are going to hear the FAQ gang's thoughts on last night's mayoral debate between Eric Adams and Curtis Sliwa. After that, stick around for another in our October eulogy for New York series as we listen to Annie Nascenti give her eulogy for New York called Edifice Complex. News. 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 New York City. F-A-Q. So it's seven in the morning. Twelve hours after. Oh, my God. The New York City mayoral debate that changed. Well, not very much, I don't think. Uh, Katie, Chrissy, good morning. Uh, what, what, what did you guys think of that hour? Uh, good morning, Harry. Uh, you know, I thought it was it was a good debate. I, I didn't realize how much I missed a two-person debate after sitting through like the eight-person um, Hollywood Squares type <laughs> debates we had during the, the Democratic primary. But yeah, I, I don't think it moves the needle for people. I think... Um, Curtis Sliwa was attacking Eric. He started with it. You know, they both kind of were attacking each other. But, you know, were were questions answered in a really uh, informative way? Not necessarily. Um, It was it was a good debate in that there were not many surprises and it was sort of as expected. Um, But I don't think anyone watched it at 7 p.m. thinking I'm voting for Eric Adams and then switched to Curtis and vice versa. Which I guess I don't know if that ever happens in a debate. Right. Well, I agree with you, Katie. I mean, it was nice. I was actually thinking about the presidential Democratic primary where it was 12 people over <laughs> on, each, on the stage two yeah. nights in a row. Um, I watched the first 45 minutes with my students in class um, because I'm teaching a seminar at night. And they were just sort of shocked that this is, you know, at one point, Curtis Lee was said something bonkers or I think TikTok girls or something like that. And I look at the class and I said, this is the mayor, this is a man who's running for mayor of New York City. <laughs> like, you know, and, and they know that I'm a statist and I rank states and I'm always trash in Jersey, but like, this is New York City. This isn't some rando town. This is, you know, 8.5 million people, billions upon billions of dollars and we have buffoonery. But I think the real piece that I was thinking the entire time I looked at the debate was, what is going on with the Republican party where you go from Joe Loda to Nicole Maliotakis to Curtis Sliwa, I mean, the dissension, the quick dissension. Because I was just like, listen, I didn't vote for Joe Loda. However, I don't think many people would disagree. This man is a public servant. He's smart. He would have been able to lead the city in a relative manner. Curtis Sliwa, I mean, this is a a stunt gone too far in so many ways. And I just feel like he's like a poor man's Giuliani. And like the antics from the 80s, just he seems like he's stuck in a time capsule. And I was just really concerned. We have real issues. And I was like, this is this is really um, disappointing that this is what the Republican Party has decided to put up in front of us. Without judging Sliwa favorably or unfavorably or any other way, let me just say that I expect he will outperform Joe Loda, who was like, deputy mayor, um, a guy who'd run the MTA, like a person, you know, uh, 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 MSG, hospitals, like of real accomplishments. 
one. Um, and, and I think that's because de Blasio and the generals had the, the, this super favorable bounce. So we've had 20 years of not democratic mayors enough already. And after eight years at de Blasio, at least a little of that goodwill energy is gone. Uh, one and two, I hate to say anything nice about Andrew Yang. Don't so I'm do not it. going to. He's it's not the, worth it. Absolutely. I'm not going to. He's the wrong avatar for this idea of having uh, of having some form of nonpartisan generals, right? We've got a, a, a jungle election, and then the top two candidates face off or whatever, with or without ranked choice voting, leaving the Democratic Party. That is not really a way to accomplish that. And all this is going to do is inflate, I think, his own brand while actually damaging this idea. That said, in practice, I would very much like to have seen a general election pitting an Eric Adams against, say, a Catherine Garcia, so that instead of having one candidate largely ignoring the other because there's a seven to one voter registration party, uh, party registration advantage one way, and like you have to engage for this hour and one more hour debates, and that's basically it. Um, and, and the non-democratic candidate doesn't really have a chance outside of like a case of emergency break glass sort of moment or a few billion dollars to spend and some good, very good luck. Um, it, that, that would be nice. Um, Sliwa and, and Adams doing this, it, 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 Katie, you're absolutely right. It's nice to have a two-person debate. A two-person debate by itself clarifies things. Uh, Sliwa has many, many flaws and we haven't got into these in this election because he hasn't been that relevant, right? So, so Eric Adams talked a bit about, oh, you lied a, a long time ago about a bunch of stuff, which is true. But you didn't have to say, um, oh, by the way, about, about your, 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 your many wives, your alimony uh, things, the, the, the many unappealing things you're involved in. When Sliwa says, I've been shot five times, Eric Adams doesn't have to say, yes, because you were talking shit on the radio. Um, <laughs> and, and why you have to admit to your lies? Because, again, he's not going to be mad. But see, but see, hold on, so, hold so on, Harry. I, do wish we had I don't like that statement. He's not going to be mad because we know. I know I, I get that. And I am putting that out in the universe energetically. But like far too many people said that about the buffoon that is Donald Trump. And here we are. Like, I don't think that we should ever underestimate a the number of people who will never vote for a black person. B, the number of Democrats who are dissatisfied with Eric Adams and will sort of vote for Sliwa just out of like, oh, well, it's not that big of a deal. C, C, Sliwa is like, oh, well, he has this one policy proposal that I think is kind of cute. So, like, let me do this. Sliwa, Sliwa understands he's not going to be mayor. And I know crazier things have happened, but not in, in the 21st century political universe. It's Curtis Sliwa winning in 2021. 2025, he is already looking at and thinking about that, hey, I raised my hand. I've introduced myself to a new generation of New Yorkers. I've, I've gone through this exercise, right? I haven't really been vetted in the course of it, but I've gone through it. And that, that's like a little notch. And if Republicans need a placeholder against an unsuccessful Eric, uh, Eric Adams, and somebody who's already called him like, like the, 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 the twin of Bill de Blasio, right? And these next four years don't go well, and there's someone in that spirit, Slew is now, hey, put me at the front of the line if it comes to that just by running this year. And I think that that is very much in his mind and, and part of why he was as restrained uh, for Curtis, I think, as, as he, he has been during this race and during the debate. He's actually been working very hard. The guy is campaigning everywhere, uh, even though he's going to be crushed and he thinks so too. Uh, so you're absolutely right. Never say never. And I think that's something he has in mind. Yeah, I, I think Eric Adams told, uh, I, I believe he told Andrew Siff of Channel 4 last night before the debate that uh, Curtis is the Donald Trump of New York. I, I thought Donald Trump was the Donald Trump of New York, but it's that name recognition. It's the, he's just been around for so long. And now, especially, I know lots of animal people who are like, it's so sweet that he loves animals. I too love cats. 
I don't like kill shelters. I'm voting for Curtis Lewa. I mean, again, these are friends of mine who are not the most politically engaged. And I don't mean that as a negative, they're just not as into it, but he's just such a known entity. I mean, I grew up listening to Curtis and Kuby. I always like, this is, you know, this is a guy who's just been around, right? And um, that's why I think I predicted 25%. Um, I think he might get more than that. See, someone laughed at me when I said 25, but I feel I validated think, that you think- I think he more. gets, I think he gets at least 30. Yeah, because you're not going to get a huge turnout of people you don't have. It's not that primary energy. People get, people are like, I have to vote again. Like, yeah. again, some people are like, well, didn't I just vote six months well, ago? And then also, like, let's never underestimate the Democrats who, you know, have a lot to lose, but are just mad that they didn't get Wiley or Garcia. So yeah. they'll sit it out, right? Because at the end of the day, they're somewhat insulated, right? But they're sort of sour grapes in it. Um, but yeah, and then you just have, you know, Republicans who will never, or Republicans who will always vote for a Republican, no matter yeah. how ridiculous the candidate, right? And we saw that even with Donald Trump on the national level. Um, and, you know, we've seen it in races across the country. I, I just think that Curtis Lewa just represents, as you said, Katie, a different time. But for me as a black person, a different time in the worst ways. Yeah. Where you have this like white man who's like deputized himself to quote unquote protect the city. It's like, what? You know, I mean, this is a man who still uses the word gangbanger. I'm like, what year is this? In your mind, what year is this? Right. And so you're talking about Rikers and the people in Rikers as they're as they're these, you know, like they're these animals or something like that. And I'm just like, right, because you have this racialized, dare I say, racist view of New York and the people in it. And you always have trust and believe. I've spent enough time with Curtis Lee in green rooms where I can say that <laughs> <laughs> definitively. Um where I just find him to be a problem of like an old, he's, he just reeks of yesterday, like an old vestige of like the worst parts of New York. I mean, to be fair, so does Eric Adams a little bit. Uh, you know, Eric Adams has that wonderful video that circulated during his campaign of him, you know, teaching New Yorkers how to discover uh, crack or possibly opiates in their children's room um, by going through their candy dish. Eric Adams also is of a similar generation, right? And he has this very old school way of interacting with the city. It wasn't the new progressive, yeah. you know, flashy stance that a lot of people wanted. They are definitely talking in the same, like, they are perfect to have a conversation with each other and to kind of like go toe to toe that way. Mm. Totally agree with that. However, here's the difference. As a black person walking down the street and Eric Adams and his relationship with the cops, I don't I don't hear Eric Adams speaking in a racially coded language to the NYPD, which is like go out and start cracking some skulls like he might fund the NYPD in ways that I disagree with. He might sort of have a relationship with the NYPD in ways that I disagree with. But Curtis Lee was racialized vision of New York City is really 1980s. And it's it's frightening to me. So, like, yeah, I think that they're old vestiges, but like you know, from a race lens, they are not the same by any stretch of the imagination. And the, I don't think Eric Adams is trying to be like a Maya Wiley or a Catherine Garcia, but we also have to remember he won fair and square. Like he really, he beat them. So like, clearly there's some people in New York who decided to pay attention or, you know, decided to vote where they're into this older view of the city and, and how it should be structured. And we know that when unemployment is up, so is crime. And I think people, people want 
sort of this man to come in and sort of swing the hammer. I think it's just Curtis Lewa's vision of swinging the hammer involves hitting Negroes first and seeing only Black and Latinx people, in my estimation. And that's what really sort of burns me up about him as a candidate. But it's also part of the course for the Republican Party right now. In a vision of the city that would possibly hurt Black and Latinx people, their answers for stop and frisk. What do you guys think about that? I think, like Chrissy said, you know, with crime being up in the way that it is, I think there are a lot of people who they want something to be done about crime. I don't know if they can maybe even vocalize, yes, we definitely want stop and frisk back. Yes, we want this element back. But I think a lot of people of all different races and socioeconomic backgrounds, they want something to be done, right? Because as we know, crime disproportionately affects only smaller parts of and and very specific parts of the city. Um, So I think that is what attracts people on the Democratic side to Eric Adams that, oh, here's Mm -hmm. a police officer. Eric was asked last night, are you a cop or a critic? Um, and I, I guess he's, you know, he's been both as someone who was working to reform the NYPD from inside. Uh, and, his, and his answers, you know, he's given these answers throughout the campaigns um, from, you know, primary now general where he has the experience, he has the know-how, he knows. I mean, in a weird way, you look at someone like Curtis, who was almost like pretending to be a cop uh, on the subway um, and doing it on that end. But yeah, I think for a lot of people, they want something to be done about crime because everyone fears. And, you know, speaking of Joe Loda, this is what had come up when he ran. Everyone doesn't want to go back. Nobody wants to go back. And we saw it a little bit sliding during COVID, right? Everyone thought we we're going to go back. Oh, no, we're not going back. It's it's this fear of what will happen in New York City slipping back. And, and different voters have different approaches and ideas for how to um, stop that slide. Speaking of slipping back, it's interesting to note that that the last decade, say, has been about untangling crime and disorder. Uh, Disorder, of course, being a very amorphous thing that you use to crack down in the neighborhoods where violent crime is concentrated, right? And suddenly that that conflation is back. So 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 we're talking about about uh, shootings that have been concentrated in some of the neighborhoods where shootings have, and many of the neighbors where shootings have long been concentrated, even as the numbers are significantly up from two years ago and plateaued from from last year when they were way way up, right? But then we're also talking about like scary disorder in Midtown uh, and the Village and stuff like that. And those are actually two very different things, and there isn't really a direct connection. And so the we need to do something, people. It's like there was a really scary, mentally unwell guy on my train. Somebody needs to do something. There was a very aggressive panhandler when I was trying to eat at an outside restaurant. Somebody needs to do something. And I, for many people, I, I, I read about these shootings. Somebody needs to do something. But these are actually very different issues with very different problems. Speaking of which, with both Curtis and Eric, who are 67 and 61 years old, I, I think of both of them, and they're very different people, but as as uh, Thanksgiving uncles in certain ways. Um, and and I, that Eric comes over and he's talking about, you're going to eat that chicken? You know, you're not going to make it to my age that way. Here's what you need to be doing. And Curtis comes over and and, and, and it's talking about his cats, and you're just sort of trying, I personally am quietly trying to to leave that part of the room. And then by the time you get to the table, 
really because of what other people are talking about, they're both talking about the, the something that the, that the police need to be need to be doing. You know, Harry, I think you hit the nail on the head with the, the uncle piece, because with Eric Adams, I mean, you know, I've talked to obviously a lot of black folks about Eric Adams. Everyone knows Eric Adams, like and Eric Adams. Right. I mean, when he talks about crime, I mean, you talk to black homeowners in Queens and Brooklyn, they they're into increasing police and or stop and frisk by and large, you know, in certain communities because they're property owners. And like, I'm tired of going outside and seeing what I see. Uh, and he speaks to that, you know, and, but that's also, that's a, I mean, black people tend to be more conservative in political science literature that we we've observed, but that's also like a white conservative talking point as well. So when you detangle what he's saying, it makes total sense how Eric Adams won the nomination and beat out all these people. I mean, it, the, the subway piece, Katie, that you mentioned sort of reminds me of, I felt like the moment Maya Wiley lost the race was during, I think, the second debate when when she was asked about um, policing on the subway. And she gave an answer, something to the fact, like, you know, doubling down, like, we aren't, I don't want to increase policing on the subway. And I was like, yeah, see, that's, there are a lot of good liberals who actually they want to defund the police, but the little bit of policing that we will have needs to be on the subway. So they don't have to interact with my favorite person on the two train is the woman who likes to smoke cigarettes. So um, with no police around to to sort of monitor any situation. I, I think that we're just in a moment right now with these two candidates to bring back to Alex's question of there's what we want on paper, which is we, we want a safe city and we don't want certain communities sort of targeted unjustly to make that happen. I think the complexity of where we are is how does that happen and the sort of growing pains that different communities have to go through to to get to the, the city that we want. And that's the piece that Eric Adams is trying to play the insider outsider. Like I was a police officer, but I also fought the police. So like I can figure that out. And Curtis Lewa's angle is more of you know, I play a police officer in my daily life, even though I never bothered to to become a police officer so I can figure it out and I've been doing it long enough, then I'll be able to help the city in that capacity. I think one of the growing pains that a lot of the homeowners have to go through, especially in the West Village and especially in Midtown after, uh, well, they had to go through it a little bit during the pandemic, but and after, is that around Washington Square Park, their neighborhood is going to be like it was when I was a teenager and people didn't like it very much, you know, this kind of safe haven for teenagers and this, this like communal meeting place, like that's sort of what it has been de facto used as since the sixties, since the seventies. And um, it's actually a lot safer as a meeting place for young people than having uh, pools kind of around the city. Um, there there's a there's a general meeting place for people to go and i think homeowners conflated conflated the drug use and the violent crime with skateboarding and loud music and i think that was a very different thing but to harry's point something has the the something has to be doneness of it all um imagined that from drug addiction to mental illness to skateboarding to loud music everything was the same and we need policing for all of it and that's not exactly right um and it's not it allows for someone like eric adams but unfortunately it leaves a crack open for someone like curtis Slewa. not to mention nobody's mentioned yet the huge anti-vax contingent coming on the heels of mayor de blasio's announcement that uh, come November 1st, 
city workers either can get one shot or get out basically. Yeah, I think Curtis speaks to um, the angry kind of uh, just angry New Yorkers. Um, he seizes on that by saying, look, I'm an outsider, you know me, but I'm not an, in, you know, I, I have never been in elective office uh, and I've never done this. So yeah, you have that, they kind of tend to be more conservative. You know, everyone I know who is opposed to a mandate uh, as a city worker is, you know, a largely conservative person. You're the stereotypical, like, I hate the city, even though um, I, the city has done everything for me by giving me a job, um, but that's my editorializing. Um, <laughs> That and is a pension. That. And a yeah, pension. and a pension and, and like healthcare, uh, that kind of thing. So yeah, and I think again, it's it's this how far do we swing from Bill de Blasio? Um, the stereotype of Bill de Blasio, and it's not all true, but it's this he's this lefty hippie and his wife stole a billion dollars and he's ruining the city, and we need someone tough to um to come in. And um Bill de Blasio has become a punchline, and I think for some people even though a lot of voters look at a guy like Curtis Lewa and think, oh, that guy's a joke. No, I think for some people, Bill de, ba Bill de Blasio is the joke and Curtis Lewa is, you know, one of his signs that they were holding yesterday outside and I've seen along, you know, the highway, on the, I've seen it along the LIE and uh, along streets in Queens is improve, don't move. And he's speaking specifically to that voter who's like, I can't wait to retire after 20 years and get out and move to North Carolina and never live in New York City again. But what he's 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 really appealing to that um, type of voter, and it if they come out for this, you know, that's why I think he gets like you say better than Loda. And then um, I'm going to say 34. percent Whoa! And I think and Katie, I think you're spot on. But I I'm going to uh, have a slight amendment, which is I think he speaks to angry white people specifically. Yes. Yeah, although like, I, I have to say, I'm not, I'm not defending white people here. I would never defend out of row white ethnics to that regard. <laughs> but I think there are other, like, if you go to those vaccine rallies, oh, as I've, I've covered, it's absolutely. not just white people. Oh, no. Hashtag not, listen, not just white people. Right. I mean, and sadly, my sister does vaccine advocacy. And it's, you know, we know a lot of black folks are vaccine hesitant or whatever phrase we're using today. But I am really curious to to see the percent, the racial breakdown of people who support Sliwa oh, on November 2nd. Um, because the thing is, when I hear him, all I hear are the Trumpian Giuliani racist dog whistles when he talks about crime, the city, and people staying. Yeah. So I, I'm curious to see if, if other folks hear that as well. And, and ignore you know, it. You know what I mean, nice? Is if we had one fucking poll uh, yeah. for this, because it's so non-competitive, and for other reasons, we have had zero public general election polls What's up, Maris? What's up, Sienna? Where you at, Quinnipiac? Where you at, Quinnipiac? <laughs> That's the name of this <laughs> episode. But hold on, really quickly, though, shout out to early voting, though, for our listeners, just reminding them that starting Saturday, they can start early voting so they can miss all the lines on Tuesday, November 2nd, since I'm sure they'll be so busy. Um, So check your board of elections or who's on the ballot.org or Gotham Gazette, I'm sure, has it. The city, I'm sure, is on it. Um to find out your polling station, because oftentimes if you're voting early, you're not voting at your same November 2nd polling station. No confusion there. So Sliwa, who, who has this in common with, with Al Sharpton, and both of them have been around for a long time, they're very different people and characters in very different positions, uh, in that both of them are much better read 
than than you would necessarily assume from uh from, from how they are publicly presented and in Slewa's case especially with the props and the bullshit uh presents himself um uh so i'm positive that he has actually done some reading i'd like to ask him about this uh if, if uh, at some point if i get the chance uh that he's done some reading on on the meller breslin campaign and particularly one of the slogans which came to mind when you were talking earlier katie which is uh actually my favorite slogan from that campaign is the other guys are the joke so, so that wasn't as good as no more bullshit as a slogan uh but but it was a good one or 51st day of course uh, but I, I do think for a, a lot of New Yorkers who don't like de Blasio and a lot of white New Yorkers who are skeptical of the Democratic Party or skeptical of, of uh, ascending black power within the Democratic Party, uh, that, that he's that Slew is going to draw. And I do think he's going to do better than, than Joe Loda, who, again, was like a, a, a credible, serious person. And Nicole Balitakis, who, who is less so in my view, but is nonetheless, an, you know, an, a, a real elected official. Somebody who's been been part of things um, uh, past. I, I patrolled the subway trains, and a guy sh I got shot five times once, and then admitted I lied about a bunch of other shit. Uh, back to skateboarders, just real quick. I, I I don't know, and and this is actually the challenging thing for good liberals who live in the village, right? And this is every neighborhood has something like this, though. So you can say you you can not want the police to arrest every skateboarder. But you can also say, I don't really want skateboarders, like lots of them uh, just sort of in the park where I'm trying to take my kids to the playground and or I don't give a shit if skateboarders are there. I think they're nice. Um, but it's also really weird to have a giant digital sign right by the arch that says no skateboarding, no smoking. And you could take picture after picture in front of that sign of like skateboarders smoking uh, next to it. And, and, and there is something to be said. And maybe this is where Eric Adams can improve on de Blasio for just meaning what you say. And the extent to which we're having a, a New York right now with this outgoing mayor who's saying one thing, but really meaning another is I, I think frustrating, and exhausting for lots of, of people in the city, including Democrats, uh, who, who, who just want to have some understanding of what the rules of the road are now uh, with these things and, and, and what this is actually going to mean for their lives and neighborhoods. The weird way I would put Nicole Meliotakis in a in like a less a, a less New York category than Curtis Sliwa. You know, he is of the city and he's of many different like many different iterations of the city and many different iterations of the borough. She is very much from Staten Island and post January 6th, I think we can squarely put her in a place uh where she is in some ways less credible as a politician. Yeah. And you were I was thinking too I know Alex you were asking about sort of the specific issues that were brought up. And I think the debate was great in, in the line of questions that were asked, you know, um, talking about climate change and bringing up Hurricane Ida and the 13 people in New York who died predominantly in basement apartments and what could be done. You know, the answers were not very substantive, but they can't um, help that. I don't know if there's, for you guys, if there's like one moment that sticks out for me, and this this is not um, informative, and I, I thought maybe it was a little racist, but uh, Curtis Lewa, uh, talking about the Puerto Rican day, parade, a little and racist, then, <laughs> and then just his strained way of saying "wepa." I don't. Oh, it, it it gave me chills that I I I will think I that 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 will haunt me until I go. I mean, it was just I I was sort of thinking, and it was to uh, Alan Villafania, who's like the uh, Telemundo reporter. Uh, who was there? I he, he had I, that look that every person of color oh, has yeah. when someone says something that's like sneaky racist, and you're just like, so I have to, I have to keep the straight face. 
Yeah. And I have to just sort of like sit here while while you finish, right? Because it's like you keep going. Stop. Yeah. Well, my students, I mean, when when you said something about TikTok, they were like, what is like that's when they were like, where are we? What is happening? I think though Eric Adams is with the elites in the suites. <laughs> right. And the TikTok there we go. house and the, girls. And the, and the TikTok girls. And I was like, wait, what? But I, I do have um I think um I think Eric Adams must answer this apartment basement yeah. tax Brooklyn house question. If not, it will be his horse carriages. It will follow him day and night throughout his administration. And he will keep, you know, vacillating and 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 sort of dodging the question until he might accidentally perjure himself. Like answer the question in some way. And he's not, you know, it's like, oh, I spend time there. Like, come on, just he he wants it to be horse carriages. Horse carriages is not what almost got Bill de Blasio indicted. It's not what he really got investigated for. Eric Adams wants this to be the this is embarrassing. I was obviously doing federal tax crime, <laughs> but not uh, properly reporting my primary uh, uh, residence. And I have to say a bunch of bullshit to route around that fact. And hopefully Biden's DOJ is not going to be super curious, proactively look into that. And if I have to look like a fool on this one front, I will do so. Because that is actually the best possible outcome, like with the carriage horses and the money they, they smuggled into that race, mm -hmm. which we won't get deep into, which was a race where no one else was smuggling money the same way. So it was a huge advantage for de Blasio, as it turned mm -hmm. out. Um, I, I think that's what Eric Adams would like, is, is I got caught doing this thing. And my question is, if he can straighten up and fly right now, that he understands he's the mayor, there's a much bigger uh, 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 you know, spotlight on him, uh, or if this is a sign that he's a guy who, who, who is inclined to 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 do some bullshit and see if he gets caught and see if it matters if he got caught like our present mayor in, in my which view. I call leaning on the line of legality. Can I, can I ask mm -hmm. you guys a question real quick? Um, so a, in regard to housing, uh, Curtis Sliwa and Eric Adams were not really playing their roles as you know left versus right. Mm -hmm. uh, Curtis Sliwa has a really good understanding of housing in New York and started talking a little bit about repurposing some of the office space, yeah. not expecting them to be reused at full capacity, talking about affordable housing. So in that regard, where two people, uh, Eric Adams and Curtis Lee, were debating on this issue, it wasn't coming from this one is, you know, talking about Republican talking points and this one's uh, doing democratic talking points what did you guys think of that exchange because they were both kind of riding the line um and that's a little in the weeds and i thought maybe you guys could unpack it a bit for the listeners yeah i, I mean i think the conversion of commercial space i know that there was a bill in the state senate from senator mike Janaris to to facilitate this it's very difficult i'm not um an architect but the way that commercial buildings are laid out, um, they are huge spaces without many windows. You know, you could see it like with a loft, right? So you, if you want to really maximize space, you're not going to just build giant loft apartments for, for people. Um, but yeah, I think Curtis's response in it's at least an attempt to create more housing, which is a huge need in the city. And that need for housing and affordable housing is what causes so many issues, right? And, and, and sort of things that trickle down, um, you know, circling back to Hurricane Ida, you know, the reason people rent basement apartments that are illegal is 
because they have nowhere else to live and it's an affordable place. And even for the homeowners, it's a way for them to keep their homes and afford them homes in, in some cases. So yeah, I think, and look, no one is going to be like on paper exactly like, oh, I'm a Republican. I think all the same things in Democrat. And even Curtis has not always been a Republican. Um, but I, it's, it's an attempt to at least discuss the creation of housing that is actually truly affordable. Um, but yeah, it's very wonky and it's very complicated. And it's, it's sort of been approached many, many times before and how to create this, especially when you had all these empty hotels. So people think, okay, well, why don't just make them into apartments? The outer boroughs, use of the phrase outer boroughs. Um, what did I, you think about that, Katie? Well, I joke, I, I, I joke sometimes, I'm like, well, Manhattan's the outer borough, just because to be an asshole. But yeah, I think that is, that's a, that's a phrase. It doesn't, I'm not mad at it necessarily. You know, I think, and, and these are two people who are from, they're not, although Curtis now lives in Manhattan, but Curtis has lived all over. Whoever he's been married to, that's where he's, or dating, I guess is where he's, <laughs> that's, that's where who he's loyal to. Um, but yeah, I think that's, they are not, um, Manhattan people necessarily. So they are, uh, I, I don't mind outer boroughs. I don't know how my outer borough, everyone, but you, Alex is the Manhattan elite. She's on this call. She's <laughs> I'm the Manhattan elite in the rent. I, it's actually cheaper for me to live in Manhattan than no, I, to live where I grew up in Brooklyn. No, I'm Alex, sure. where are your TikTok right. girls? <laughs> With your one with your one billion dollars. <laughs> yeah, that I have to say, I always say this like I I get exhausted trying to fact check people because Thrive is so confusing, but the <laughs> but we, but we one, can make a hunch. <laughs> the lasting issue of this, and again, the people who don't know much about politics, they all know quote unquote, they all think Sherlane stole the money. It's a billion, sometimes it's 1.5 billion, sometimes it's 3 billion. I even heard Eric Adams was on Good Day New York the other week and Rosanna Scotto, I was like, is this someone's Facebook page? Where's the billion dollars, Eric? I was thinking, that's, you know, and there's been reporting that shows like where it is and how it's sort of just been like put in different pots. But yeah, that Thrive is the issue that everyone I know doesn't know who their council member is, doesn't know what a state senator is. They all know where's the money. Why doesn't anyone right. report on Thrive when it's well, on I mean, cover the post? But I think that it's going to obviously follow our good friend Bill De Blasio as he runs for governor. Yes. Um, which you know, I'm still I need I'm so curious as to who his base will be and who his donors will be. But obviously, when he goes to Long Island, those who people will show up largely so they can just boo him and say how terrible he is. Where's and the money, Bill? Where's the billion dollars? You stole billion dollars. You let your wife steal a billion dollars. Yeah. Um, and obviously, as we get closer to November 2nd. So there's another debate, listeners, so be sure to tune in. Um, you know... Do we have to watch that one, too? No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. It's, it's not on a Wednesday. I believe it's on a Tuesday, so I won't be able to watch it with my students. I absolutely love watching debates with my students just because their eyes, you know, most of them don't watch debates, obviously. Um, I think it's like the journalist class and like a few other people, but um, I think they're really stunned into like, this is this is the talent for New York City. And Welcome a lot of New them York. come from, you know, small towns here and there. And they're just like, this is what New York is putting up. It's like, yeah, yeah, this is, this is what we're doing. So yeah, Sherland, for instance, who absolutely did not steal a billion dollars. <laughs> right. Or two hundred dollars, but uh, I mean, she, 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 the first lady, which is a title De Blasio sort of brought back that hadn't been in use, of New York City, wasted a 
a, a an epic amount of money and this has been you know very well documented for people actually reading this not the ones who are showing up to like holler at the mayor you know wasted an epic amount of money on a really poorly defined program that didn't help people and it looks even worse on a moment when when, when the real issues that are not being resolved with this severely mentally ill uh and you're putting all this into to people with with with, with real uh, but 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 smaller issues and and plainly this is a little like pre-k except it didn't end as well in that for de blasio the point was the money not the program you know um when de blasio runs he said we're gonna have we're gonna we're gonna have this tax that's what he wanted to talk about and for the price of you know a cup of starbucks a day you get this thing and the thing is almost incidental the point is he wants to redistribute money and with thrive too he did redistribute money towards something that's like a good and admirable goal but if you don't do something useful and measurable with that money which he did with pre-k and has really failed to with thrive you look like an ass and i, I don't want to defend the people yelling false stuff at the mayor or, or not even understanding the basic contours of this uh but without without personal theft involved which there is not uh you know there, there, there is something sort of unique and notable and frustrating about that and when it doesn't go well and you put your wife in charge she's not really an executive director and nobody is making this thing work if it's so if it's so important and this is a, an issue for your family personally and you understand in the whole city like you you have to make sure that, that like people who are depressed in the outer boroughs and don't have access to a psychiatrist or great health insurance right that they really do have somewhere to go and this just doesn't seem to have accomplished that at a very a fancy new website leads to one phone number which has been the same phone number that doesn't really lead you anywhere unless you're actually in active crisis yeah so our hip hop samples here will be uh, uh, what's his name Cameron doing Curtis <laughs> from the, the diss track. There's By the another, way, there were, oh, go ahead. There's, an, there's another billion dollars that people are wondering about, and it, it's odd to me that people still asking uh, people are still asking if a candidate would refund the police because that billion dollars that was supposed to come out of the nypd never actually came yeah. out of the nypd right. it was speculative on the amount of overtime they were going to save on which obviously they didn't since there was you know and they're killing it out. on overtime right now they're right. killing it on overtime every single time i pass a, a cop one they're maskless two they're talking about overtime like literally i i'm always eavesdropping on their conversations and it's always about ot you can have 10 people outside of Stonewall having a dance off like protest in name only, and there will be 10 precincts out there. Like it's mm -hmm. a million alarm fire with- <laughs> It's with, a billion, Alex, a billion with, alarm fire. With the Joker and, you know, Two-Face and the question man. <laughs> so, so what might actually defund the police? And I think this is our closing note and grimly speaking of killing it is uh, if these officers are not bluffing about refusing the vaccine and being moved off of payroll, and you're already seeing representatives of their unions and the firefighters one start to say, hey, good luck, New York, if we're not here. So I think a lot of them are going to be bluffing, like teachers were who had a pretty similar vaccination rate until there was a mandate from the city for them first, and the numbers went significantly up. But it would be sort of remarkable if resistance to de Blasio's mandate is what actually accomplishes what the uh, what the whole left could not and means that we have a smaller uh, police department. And if that happens, I think there's a very real chance that Shea, who's a very competent numbers guy, right, uh, who ran Comstat and all that, is able to use the, the let's say, theoretically 10% smaller police department 
and manages to hold the line on violent crime and guns. And it's almost a flashback to 2014 when there's this pseudo strike, uh, slowdown, and the unions are very upset. And what happens? Like violent crime actually goes down yep. as this is happening. So maybe it'll finally be the NYPD that ends up defunding the police a little. And maybe this will show something to our next mayor who will be Eric Adams. No jinx. Right. Well, I mean, you remember, Harry, when we had the when we had the slowdown before crime didn't spike, we were just fine. Yeah. Right. And so we have mm-hmm. cops who are just patrolling the streets. But like in a lot of ways, we don't need all that we have. And we also need better types of cops in a lot of um, precincts. So if they want to sit this out and not collect a check and see that the city runs smoothly like it did before, have at it. I like your theory. I'm putting it in the inner, in the in the universe. We'll see. I, I think they're bluffing, but this is a different workforce than teachers, and we're going to find out. Um, the deadline is is coming up in just a couple of weeks. Well, is it? It's like that Mike Tyson quote, right? Like I'm paraphrasing, but like everybody has something to say until you get punched in the face, right? I mean, I think a lot of these cops have like you know I'm not doing it. It's like okay, well then sit out a few paychecks when you're used to OT and a check and see see how it is. Oh, we have a visitor. Walter the baby is here. <laughs> we have a baby. No pressure. We're just voting to build the future New York City for little Walter. Right. The listeners can't see, but we are looking at a baby. We're Alex looking at a like a super cute baby who also has like an old man haircut. Like he's going to Florida. He looks like he just got back from Boca. See, so th- no pressure. That's what's, what I think his, when I vote. What's his onesie say? New York is for lover. <laughs> uh, yeah. I When I think, when I go to the polls, I think, this isn't for me. This is for, you know, my nephew who's six and all the other kids I know living in the city and now little Walter. So no pressure when you go voting to the polls, but it's just, we're, we're building the future for our children. And now we're proud to present Annie Nicenti's Edifice Complex, part of FAQ NYC's Eulogy for New York series in the month of October. Edifice Complex by Annie Nocenti. I landed in the Big Bad Apple in 1980 with only a bicycle to my name and got mugged for it. Back then, muggers leapt out of the shadows and hot-branded the reckless. It was the price paid for living in the streets of possibility in a city abandoned by cops and open to creative lawlessness. I chased that bicycle thief down, leapt on him, fought hard for that bike. He kept onlookers at bay by pretending to be my husband. Back off. This is personal. This is my wife. In the end, I let him have it. The cheapest rooms for rent were in abandoned, half-abandoned warehouses. I bunked with other artists in the Coogan Building on 26th Street, built in 1878 as a men's racket club, and imagined the bygone smell of sweat and tennis balls. The building was torn down, and I found a squat in a vacant basement methadone clinic. My room still had the wire mesh glass sliding hospital windows from when junkies were served their tiny cup of relief. The building super let the streetwalkers hang in the lobby on bad weather nights, and sometimes they'd come to my underground room and show me how to put on a better face. One night in a bar called River Run, so named after the first and last word in James Joyce's Finnegan's Wake, A bartender gave me a lead on a loft in Tribeca. These were the days when the derelict spice and coffee factories of old could be rented as is for cheap. 
It was a former cheese factory machine shop, floorboards gouged with oil-slicked holes. While I worked on making it habitable, I took a room in a converted meat house locker. My bedroom walls were thick layers of wood and metal, a sham Reikian orgone box. Long ago, it would have been filled with giant ice blocks and hanging cows. Behind the wall was a club called Area, and the owners gave me free access to the dance floor for putting up with the pounding disco. I'd wander over in my slippers and nightgowns in the hopes of starting a more comfortable fashion trend. The New York City I loved was the impromptu dance of street life, where stoop-sitting and kismet of passerbys spun into parties. I wanted to live in the whimsical eyes-on-the-street village community Jane Jacobs fought for, not the town eviscerated by the bully highways of Robert Moses. The late 80s, early 90s power brokers of Gotham competed to build the tallest towers, including the obnoxious gold tees of you-know-who. A prescient shrink might have diagnosed Manhattan with an edifice complex. The lofty monuments to egotism rose, which in turn cast long shadows on the rest of us. Their shadows stole our light, killed the flowers in our window boxes, kept us in our place. I lived downtown in the shadow of the Twin Towers. The pre-internet GPS was a constellation of skylines. We all used those double monoliths as our compass south. The only romance they held for me was knowing aerialist Philippe Petit pulled off one of the greatest outlaw heists of all time by walking a wire between them. He stole an illegal promenade through the sky. Down below, my Tribeca turf was measured by the boats docked in the Hudson River on the abandoned Pier 25. Back then, boats could just pull up and drop anchor without causing protest. The rules of the sea, as my friend Papa Neutrino would say, docking his floating family band raft. The flying neutrinos would pull into any port, sing, collect tips, move on. It was a time when immigrants and political refugees could arrive in New York City, get a bunk on a boat, an off-the-books wage, and throw a bonfire party, gain a foothold in the big city. When the Twin Towers took twin hits and vanished, to me it seemed two teeth had been yanked from my own mouth. With their fall, fear arrived, along with its toxic buddies, xenophobia, and racism, a paranoid cocktail that smelled like end times for Tribeca. We cleaned the fallout dust from our homes, helped the firemen best we could, watched the stinking pit burn down, the fences go up, and the National Guard roll in. My 9-11 remains fixated on the carpenter who built a tower of plywood stretchers, despite knowing they were never going to be needed. That edifice to despair marked my doorstep for a year before someone finally toppled it. FAQ NYC is a production of Racket Media and a proud member of the Brickhouse Cooperative of Independent Journalists and Artists. We are headquartered at NYU's McSilver Institute for Poverty Policy and Research. Special thank you to the FAQ gang for getting it all together at 7 a.m. this morning and Annie Nascenti for writing such a beautiful New York eulogy.